Group of Five Live is sponsored by American Betting Experts, one of the largest sports and casino vendors in the United States. We've teamed together to provide special gaming offers to all Landry Football Conference Call podcast listeners. Here's what you do. Go to our website, LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located on the upper right side. Pick among the gaming sites legal in your state, such as BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, and PointsBet. Sign up and instantly receive an account deposit match or risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It's that easy. Again, go to LandryFootball.com, click on the ad located on the upper right side of the page, and get in on the action with a special offer from American betting experts. Group of five, group of five lives. Group of five, group of five lives. Are we talking about the American? Yeah. CUSA, USA. Yeah. Mac, Mac. Yeah. Mountain West. Yeah. And the Sun Belt. of five live is part of the landry football network my name is chris mykoski on friday's show i gave you my three picks the three most intriguing saturday games in my eyes one from each of the active group of five leagues in the american memphis ucf delivered in a big way the tigers were down 35 to 14 in the third quarter then launched the biggest comeback in school history. Memphis, 50, UCF, 49, the final. Tigers QB, Brady White, 486 yards and a career-high six passing touchdowns. In Conference USA, I thought Louisiana Tech had a shot to upset Marshall with home field advantage on a beautiful night in Ruston. Wasn't the case, though. Heard 35, Bulldogs 17. Marshall is 4-0 for the first time since 2014. And back in the AP Top 25, now at number 22. And in the Sun Belt, it was more of a morbid fascination I had with Georgia Southern versus UMass as the Minutemen were playing their first game of the year. And As of right now, when I'm talking to you, taping this at 7 o'clock on Sunday night, it is still the only game on their schedule. The Minutemen are going to pick up games along the way, wherever they can find them. But in game number one, the Eagles rolled 41 to nothing. The Sun Belt dominates the show today. Later, we will hear from Chris Witten, the voice of App State as the Mountaineers get set to face Arkansas State on Thursday. But first, my visit with Barry McKnight, play-by-play man for Troy for the last 19 years after the Trojans survived Saturday against Eastern Kentucky. Barry, the NCAA FCS account, has long used the hashtag FearTheFCS 
and Eastern Kentucky really put a scare into Troy on Saturday. But let's start with a positive. Evan Lagasse, the hero, and everyone loves a redemption story. Yeah, he's a redemption story for sure. Uh, the, the, the narrative of the game goes, Troy was, I, I think I saw on Saturday morning, morning of the game, that Troy had a 96% chance of winning the game, <laughs> according to the ESPN um, whatever the, the FPI uh, or something like yeah, that, the like algorithm, that, right? whatever right. it is they use. So it you know, we expected, you can expect anything really, but expected an easy victory. That's why it's there. Um, and boy, they, 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 they gave Troy tooth and nail. I mean, they tried everything they could. They were successful in a lot of it and it came down. They, they scored a touchdown to take the lead with 21 seconds to go. Troy had all three timeouts, uh, were able to negotiate down the field, you know, save some time. And with two seconds to go, it was going to be a 47 yard field goal for Evan Legassi in order to escape an FCS game with a win. Now Legassi is an interesting story. He's a great kid. His freshman, he was one of the truly top high school kickers in the country coming out of Tate High School in Pensacola, and Troy was fortunate to sign him. Uh, his first year, he kicked a field goal against LSU late, late, late in the first half, and it turned out to be the margin of victory, 24-21 in 2017. And he lost his job later in the year and lost it in 2018 and in 2019. So finally, he, after a pitched battle, he was the starting kicker in the, in the beginning of this season. And, but he had struggled. He was two of six coming into that game. And, you know, his high was a 47 yarder had that earlier in the year, but this was going to be to win the game. Yeah. Um, so I was nervous and it certainly, you know, it certainly heightened the suspense of it, but boy, he drilled it. Uh, there was no, not suspense about that at all. Um, once it left his foot. So, you know, it's a great redemption story for a young man who's been working hard and deserves it. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the reasons why I love college football and college athletics so much. Well, after that one's over, obviously everybody's smiling as soon as the kick goes in. But I imagine kind of after you calm down a little bit and it registers like, ooh, we shouldn't, it shouldn't have been that close. Uh, I met a lot of sense of relief around uh, oh, yeah. the field house. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff to correct. You know, this was the second game of a three game homestand, but it's also you're looking into the face of four game set coming up. Georgia state at home next week. And then at Appalachian state at Georgia Southern, and then at home against coastal Carolina. So whatever ills that you absolutely had, you had to have some answers for yeah. them in the Eastern Kentucky game, because you really got to gird your loins for those next four. Uh, and, and Troy answered a couple of questions. I thought some of the personnel um, questions were answered. But all in all, I think they ended up with as many questions coming out as they did going in, which is which is OK if you come out with the victory. Uh, but, yeah, there, there are some, you know, some defensive things other than a couple of big plays, a 90 yard touchdown pass um, and a couple of a, a big fourth down conversion late in the game. Uh, Troy's defense actually played pretty well. A couple of turnovers on offense. Those kind of things can be ironed out, but they better be ironed out before this weekend comes. And you hadn't seen that much from Gunnar Watson. He had gone on a really nice streak of mm -hmm. passes thrown without a pick. He does throw for over 300 yards. This is his first year as a starter. Just so far, what have you seen from him as far as development? Well, I, I think every game you see him get a little bit better and a little bit better. He's very intelligent. He's very football 
smart, uh, which is what you have to have to play quarterback for Chip Lindsay. You've got to have intelligence and you've got to have an ability to move around a little bit. And he has both of those. So, you know, all it's going to take for him and all it has taken so far is just reps, you know, just some experience out there. He, he's picking up stuff every week. The game is slowing down and he's able to push it faster. It sounds like an oxymoron, but the slower the game is to him, the faster he can play it. Uh, and I think we've seen a lot of that as well. But yeah, uh, one of the interceptions was on a screen pass. That was just a mistake he should not have made. That's not a, that's not a mistake a winning quarterback um, ever makes. And uh, th- there's definitely room for improvement for him, but the ceiling is really, really high for Gunnar Watson. And the fact that he gets to target Kalen Geiger so often, and he broke out last year, newcomer of the year in the Sunbelt Conference. And it just seems for him that he might be the most exciting player in this league right now. Geiger's another interesting story. Since you talk about redemption stories, Mm -hmm. Kalen is about, he's listed at 170. Uh, He's more like 160. And whenever he came out of high school, he had zero offers. I'm talking FCS, Division II, junior college. He didn't have any offers. He walked on at a junior college, and he was a leading receiver for two years. At a junior college, he had maybe one or two offers. <laughs> and, and Troy got on him late, and he turns out to be the, the Sunbelt Newcomer of the Year yeah. last year. A couple of the secrets for him. Number one, uh, he's very athletic. Obviously, he can really run. Number two, he may be 160, but I don't think anybody ever has told him that. He's not supposed to be as fearless as he is because he's not a go route guy. You know, he operates on the interior. You know, he's an inside receiver, which means a lot of slip screens, a lot of moving, you know, counter to the, uh, to the flow, you know, which means, you know, he'll take some hits, Yeah. but it doesn't bother him. And, and he's got enough speed to, you know, to flash by guys, but he's got enough toughness to go over the middle where the linebackers and the strong safeties are. Let's talk a little bit about Kimani uh, Vidal not often that a true freshman you don't have that year as a red shirt where you're kind of getting bulked up you're getting in the weight room you're getting on the training table guys that young coming straight out of high school they can have a body that'll handle the punishment at that Mm -hmm. position first year out of college that's few and far between how has he done it well a couple of things uh, about him have really helped him before he got to Troy. He's a great kid, great family, understands work ethic. He came from a really good program. Uh, Marietta played for the 7A championship in Georgia last year, and my gosh, that's good football. And he was the MVP of the championship game. So he understands, um, you know, work ethic and competition. He, he, He is prepared for this level of football because of the competition he's faced in the past. The other thing is, are his physical attributes. He's he's very athletic. I keep making the point on the air that Kimani is not small. He's just short. He's five feet eight, but he's 215 pounds. He gets under so many tacklers. He is the low man in every, you know, one-on-one competition he's got out there. And, And he's so strong that at five feet eight, he moves the pile every time. He's got great vision, incredible balance. Uh, he has a chance. I'm not going to put the onus on him yet, but he has a chance to be as good as any running back we've, we've had at Troy. Well, the fact that you've been doing it for so long, the so many faces have changed. You've gone through hundreds and hundreds of student athletes, countless head coaches, uh, and just the fact that you're able to be the consistent voice of Troy Athletics for this long. I just can't imagine how, well, I can a little bit, I guess, imagine how gratifying 
that is. And I mean, just tell me a little bit about what it's like for you going year after year and the changes that occur and just being the consistent voice there, uh, there in Troy. Well, I remember one of the quotes from my favorite sportscaster, Vin Scully, and I've got a million of them. He said, it's just the blink of an eye between rookie of the year and the old timers came. Hmm. You know, I still I still think of myself as you know, learning and evolving. There's things to learn. There's new technology to take advantage of. There's new players. There's new coaches. There's new venues to go to. So that keeps me young. And I still don't think that I'm one of the grizzled veterans yet because <laughs> I still have so much that I'd like to, you know, that I'd like to improve upon and that I'd like to evolve into. So that has a lot to do with it. But you look back and that's 19 years. And and some of the guys who I called in my first year of doing football, the fall of 2002, they come back now and they're in their mid 40s, which is difficult for me to understand. They've got kids and, you know, the kids are, are going to high school and graduating high school as well. That's gratifying for me, for sure. But But I think the thing that has really kept it fresh for me uh, at this level of football, Troy has been in several different levels, uh, from one double A to an independent in football to, you know, to the Sun Belt and in basketball and baseball, several other conferences as well. You get to meet so many new people. You get to you get to go to so many new places. I, I kid around with some of my compatriots in the SEC or, or, you know, in the ACC and point out to them that, you know, every year a big trip for them is, you know, a neutral site game or you know, going somewhere in Texas. Well, you know, I've broadcast from Ohio State yeah. because of my association from Troy. I've been to Virginia and BYU and, you know, I've done baseball at Arizona State and I've done basketball at Kentucky and against Duke. So not everybody can say that. It's, it's very gratifying, not just to be doing the same old thing every year. Another one of my favorite quotes is that, you know, you want to, you want to have you know, as many years as you can, just make sure you don't have the same year over and <laughs> over again. So, you know, I, I've tried to be mindful of that, trying new experiences and new approaches to doing what I do. Given your longevity, you should be able to influence upcoming out-of-conference schedules. I, I, you should be able to. I'm not sure the coaches are going to let you. But if they did, what would you tell them is some bucket list venues that you would love to broadcast from? It's a two-layered question, I think, because uh, the two places that I would love to go are places that I've actually broadcast from before. Um, one of them is Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, and one of them is Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn. I, I've done games from there. Um, I've done, you know, Auburn and Alabama games and other sports, but I, I still think it would be wonderful to be able to call a Troy game uh, against Auburn in Auburn or against Alabama in Tuscaloosa. That, that would be, it's not just strictly because of the honor of being there and going there and the impact those two programs have on the state, but because I think it's the right thing to do. I, I, I think that would be the culmination of just some common sense in non-conference scheduling for those two programs. And certainly it would be a, a real feather in the cap for Troy. There's no denying that. Other than those two obvious ones for me, um, I'd like to go out on the West Coast. My, my brother writes for Sports Illustrated, and he, uh, he lives out in California and L.A. Um, we've done basketball out there before at USC. I'd love to go someplace like uh, you know, like uh, the Rose Bowl or, yeah. or Memorial Coliseum or something <laughs> like that and do a game out there. Just so my If brother you can pick one, choose the Rose Bowl. I've been out for a game there. Nothing tops that scenery. Yeah, I, I went there. I actually covered the uh, the national championship game, Auburn and um, and Florida State back okay. in 2013. Um, 
you know, in my work in my at my radio show in the mornings. And um, my gosh, that's a beautiful venue. <laughs> There's so many of them. It really kind of captures college football. It's so difficult to put into words just the draw and the attraction of everything, the pageantry that college football offers as much as any place I've seen in that area where that place certainly does. Well, you got a good list going, and uh, I'm, I know you're going to stick around in the role for as long as they'll as long as they'll have you. So uh, hopefully, uh, you get to see some more of those uh, down the line. But it's homecoming; it'll be the strangest homecoming you've ever experienced uh, with the Troy Trojans. Uh, by the way, what what are they allowing as far as capacity coming up this weekend? This weekend, it's going to be like it has been before, where uh, season ticket holders get in. Uh, I think they they cap the limit for students at 3,000. They maybe, maybe be some tickets, uh, two or 300 left, um, you know, uh, single admission tickets, uh, single game tickets, and of course, the sign of the South and the cheerleaders. I'm guessing somewhere around 10,000, which is a little bit more than 33% of capacity, something like that. It's weird having it limited because... You know, it's such a great venue and such a fan, fan-friendly place uh, to have to limit it, you know, just kind of hurts my heart, but I understand. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Every, everywhere I go this season, I feel the same way. Homecoming, Georgia State visiting Troy on Saturday, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. And if you're not fortunate enough to be uh, where you can hear Barry on the radio, you can watch it on ESPNU. Barry, appreciate the time. I, I knew I would enjoy it, and I did. Thanks for offering the, uh, the chance to spend some time with you. It'll be nearly a month between games for Appalachian State. The Mountaineers last played September 26th against Campbell. They'll host Arkansas State on Thursday. The voice of App State, Adam Witten, joins us. Adam, what's this layoff been like from your perspective? You know, Chris, I appreciate you having me on. First of all, it's it's been odd. You know, it's been weird to kind of be sitting on my couch and watching football games on a Saturday or even a Wednesday night. Um, we've watched some good football, specifically in the Sun Belt, and with App State's next opponent, Arkansas State, playing a wild one in its previous game against Georgia State. But it's it's been surreal, and and quite honestly, that's been the most appropriate word to describe. 2020 is surreal so yeah when you go a month without playing a game before app state plays again it's not what you'd hope for but you were certainly ready for it we knew at the beginning of this that you had to be prepared for these kind of scenarios uh you hope that it wouldn't come up and you wouldn't have to actually deal with it as a reality but yet here we are and it appears as as we are talking today that app state has gotten on the other side of this and so hopefully ready to play football on Thursday. Yeah, we'll hope so. Uh, last week, I had an interview taped with Bruce Howard, who's the voice of Tulsa, but we ended up having to cut that because after it was already recorded, the Golden Hurricane had its game against Cincinnati postponed due to COVID issues on the Bearcats side. But you know, even before Adam... App State's games against the Raging Cajuns and Georgia Southern were postponed. You guys had 18 players quarantining and out for the Campbell game. How many starters were you crossing off your spotter board that night? 
we were crossing off quite a few. I mean, we wiped out just about all of our wide receivers, all of our running backs and all of our tight ends, and then a few players on defense as well. And so, yeah, it was, it was quite a different look at the depth chart, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So again, you know, not something you're used to and you just kind of react to everything that is happening. And, and it goes beyond everything that you've ever learned as a broadcast or even someone that's involved in college sports, college football, or any profession, preparation is such a key part to, to what you do. And preparation is something that is, has to be handled so much differently right now. And it's, it's an out of body experience and it goes against every, every teaching that you've ever had, every lesson to become more reactionary rather than be someone that is focused on preparation. And so we always like to be prepared. We always like to, to be ready for things as they happen. But in 2020, it has taught you to react so much more. And, you know, as hard as it was for, for us to, to try to go and comb through the roster and the depth chart to figure out who was going to be seeing the field and a lot of the snaps in that game against Campbell, I mean, it, it pales in comparison to what the coaching staff was going through because they only had a few days notice to, to figure out, okay, here's who we're not going to have. Here are some of the different uh, personnel groupings that we're going to be using on offense. I mean, there were combinations that we never even thought of seeing, but I will say coaches have been much more prepared than we've been as broadcasters because even before the start of the season, like I said before, they knew this was going to be a reality. And so they planned accordingly in whatever fall workouts that they could have and whatever practices that they could have prior to those games, you started getting more people on the practice field in these scenarios. You had to have guys ready further down the depth chart, depth chart than what yeah. you were used to. And so, you know, you hoped you never had to use that as an option, but still they, they were ready at times to, to be able to, to do things like that. And, you know, they came out and played phenomenally in that game against Campbell. And, you know, they had really tried, they really found their groove, especially offensively from a, from a consistency standpoint, um, which made it so unfortunate that they've had this long layoff ever since that game. And talking to coaches from my perspective has just been, the person, the meetings about personnel, the meetings about depth chart are becoming so much more regular and so much more involved because, as you said, you could have top three guys in the depth chart knocked out any day and you have to be ready for that situation. And you and I, I think, are on the same wavelength on this being so much harder on the coaching staffs and really everybody dealing with the pandemic at large. Our complaints are minor in comparison to what so many other people have to go through, including in the sports world. We're just thankful to be calling a game. And if we have to find out some information about a guy that we fully did not expect to see, so be it. But, you know, you mentioned it. Some, some guys have had a chance to step up. Uh, Nate Noel answered that call. For, for you guys, looking back on that Campbell game, what impressed you so much about him? How much did you know about him going into that day? Well, we, we knew he was a special talent, and it was just it was a question of whether or not uh, he'd be able to crack the the depth chart. Um, you know, he's he's from a, a tremendous high school. He went to Northwestern High School in 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 Miami, which has produced unbelievable oh, yeah. products. I, I grew up in the state of Florida, and my high school actually played Northwestern my junior year in the state championship game. And I thought we were good going into that game. And then they just, they, they made us look like, you know, a pop Warner team 
against them, even though we were at the height of, you know, 6A yeah. high school football in the state of Florida. And so we knew what kind of players came out of that program. Demetrius Taylor, who's a star defensive end on our team, is from that high school. And so Nate Noel came from a, a very highly regarded program, uh, had a tremendous senior year there. And, you know, so we knew the type of talent that he was, but he was behind three uber talented running backs in Daytrick Harrington, Cam Peoples, Marcus Williams, but he got his opportunity a lot sooner than, than what he anticipated. And it's, it's one of the best debuts of anybody. First time seeing the field in a uniform and, and you rush for over hundred yards, you find the end zone in the game. Um, so, you know, to have that debut right out of the gates in a spot when they needed you to perform because of what the, the running back position was dealing with in that Campbell game with guys being out. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much more we'll see of Nate Noel, especially if they've got the regular running backs available mm -hmm. to them. Um, but it's good to know that, you know, guys are ready to, to step up no matter how experienced they are. You mentioned that you've been watching a lot more Sunbelt football, a lot more football in general than uh, you normally get to. And I'm sure you were locked into that Arkansas State game. They set some school records on offense last week. So I think we can all look forward to a track meet on Thursday. Uh, how worried is everyone, though, about the rust factor? You see Arkansas State able to throw it all over the place. They are clicking, at least on that side of the ball. And then App State's coming off nearly a month layoff. It, it is a concern, and that's going to be the big question leading up to that game on Thursday, that the team's going to be in practice for about a week prior to the Arkansas State game after having a couple of weeks off. And, yeah, you just wonder how quickly can you get everyone back up to speed. You know, you, you don't have you, – you can work separately, and you hope that everyone can, can do their individual assignments in terms of studying and, and preparing and, and keeping your body right because you've got to keep that conditioning level at, at the same place going into that game. But now they're going to, now they're back together as a group. They're going through the regular practice schedule leading up to that Thursday game. And so, yeah, Chris, I mean, the, the big question is what will the layoff do in terms of, in terms of rust, in terms of, you know, how are you going to look in the fourth quarter, you know, App State, you never worry about how the team's going to look in the fourth quarter in a normal setting. And I'm not that concerned about it right now. So, but you really just hope that the sloppiness factor isn't there. It's almost like, are you looking at another game one of a season type scenario once more? How much can you hearken back to what you did in the first three games in September, having gone almost a month in between playing? So, and, and, you know, you're not getting a chance, you're not getting thrown into a game where, okay, this one isn't a conference game and maybe you have a chance to work out some kinks. That's not what you're facing here. You're facing one of the best teams in the league in Arkansas state, a dynamic offense, two tremendous quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, a team that, that is always looking to challenge and everybody's looking to challenge app state for the top spot in this conference. So uh, Arkansas state's going to be hungry. they sense an opportunity here. They're playing well, their offense is clicking and you hope that the Mountaineers layoff isn't going to be something that that will, you know, ultimately be a factor in this game. You saw on Wednesday what Coastal Carolina did, and then it comes out on Sunday that they are ranked for the first time in FBS in school history. Just having seen them for the last five years, did you see this coming this season for the Chanticleers to be as good as they are right now? 
Wow. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know that anybody saw it coming this quickly. You could definitely see that they had the pieces in place. I mean, they were getting better and coach Chadwell has done a, a tremendous job. You know, they've, they've gone through some coaching ups and downs with, with health issues and coach Chadwell jumping into an interim role and, you know, starting out running the offense and now he's into the head coaching role. And so, you know, it's that consistency has been there even though the name in charge of the program at the head of the program has, has gone back and forth a little bit. Coach Chadwell has always been there as, as the one kind of running that offense. Um, and so you can see that it's, it's gotten better and better year after year because they've had that continuity, which is not always something that you have over, you know, a three to five year span in the Sunbelt conference. And so that has helped them. They've recruited well. Um, and now they're really starting to, to put it together. And so, I mean, yeah, App State has played some close games against Coastal. They have had some tough times with that team where that game has been in doubt getting late into the second half, you know, the last few times that they've played. I go back to a home game from from a, a few years ago um, that that Coastal, which was still a relatively young program in the Sun Belt, challenged this team. You know, App State played a really tight game against them two years ago on the road with an injured Zach Thomas uh you know, not in that game and Coastal gave them a ball game two years ago. These two teams are going to face off at the end of the season uh, in Conway and who knows what's going to be on the line in that one. But, yeah. you know, Chris, I, I look at Coastal and what Louisiana has done this year up until their, their, their past game, you know, beating Iowa State, Coastal Carolina getting another Big 12 win, um, you know, Georgia State challenging teams, whether it's Arkansas State or Louisiana, you know, Georgia Southern continues to, to make that climb as well. So I look at what the way that this conference as a whole has really been elevated. Um, and now you're seeing more teams kind of rise up to meet the challenge of, of the, the precedent that App State has sent over the last four years winning the conference. So with Coastal and Louisiana and Georgia State and Georgia Southern, um, you know, and Troy's always there and they're getting they're getting better under a, a, a relatively young head coach. And so, you know, you can see the pieces there. And, and that's what you've needed in this conference is you've needed more, more weight, more gravity to this, to this league overall. And coastal is just another example, them getting in the top 25, Louisiana being in the top 25 early in the season, mm -hmm. app state having been ranked the last few years. So you are seeing it now spread out across more and more. And that is, that is a good thing for this league. Um, makes these games more competitive, makes these games more exciting week after week. Um, and, and so you're seeing the Sun Belt really start to climb the ladder of, of the best leagues in the, in the group of five. Adam, I appreciate you taking time away from your family here on a <laughs> Sunday uh, for the show that people will hear on Monday morning. Uh, but let me close you out on that. Just kind of that same wavelength about family. I love the picture that you tweeted on Sunday morning with your dad at Tropicana field for that Rays world series game. It, it's, it's almost exactly my experience when the Rangers first made the World Series in 2010. So just take me back to that day in the whirlwind 24 hours. Yeah, so um, I grew up, you know, as I mentioned at the, toward the beginning, I grew up in Florida and, you know, the Rays became an expansion team when I was in high school. So it was 1998 and my dad and I got season tickets. I went to as many home games as I possibly could. I lived in, in Sarasota, which is, you know, a good 45 minutes to an hour from, from St. Petersburg where the team plays. And, but, you know, I, we would drive there all the time, up and back, up and back, even for those Tuesday night, seven o'clock games and get back close to 1130 midnight 
on a school night. We did that a lot. Um, and so I grew to love that team from day one, despite how bad they were until 2008. Uh, but in 2008, they, you know, they changed the, the team name from the devil Rays to the Rays. the color scheme. They had new, they had new leadership in the organization. Um, Joe Madden had, had gotten the team to the point where they were ready to compete. They had good young stars with Carl Crawford and Evan Longoria and, and BJ Upton. And, and so, you know, in 2008, they make this unbelievable run and, you know, we'd had season tickets for a while um, until I left to, to go to school at App State. And after that, I, I, rem- I remained living in North Carolina. And so in 08, you know, my dad didn't get season tickets anymore. Um, but when they went to the World Series, he had the opportunity to get World Series tickets for one game if he was willing to get season tickets for the 2009 season. <laughs> and he said, you know, he wanted to ha- he wanted to go to the games anyway. So he was always kind of wrestling with himself internally as to whether or not he was going to get season tickets. So this was, this was a pretty easy call for him. And he told me, he's like, I'm going to get tickets for game one. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty busy during the football season, but sure. it happened to be on a, on a weeknight um, game one in St. Petersburg. So from North Carolina, I flew down the morning of game one into Tampa. My dad and I went to the game. They lost game one, unfortunately. Um, and then I, I flew back the, the following morning to, to get back into my regular schedule for, um, you know, for the football season. But, you know, despite the loss, despite the fact they lost that World Series to the Phillies, that was it was one of those things where you're like you just don't know if you're going to get here again. You yep. got to You got to go. And here we are 12 years later. They're going to be playing, you know, ironically enough, given your fandom uh, they're yep. in Arlington for, for the World Series. I'd love to be able to go, but it's not quite in the cards in 2020. But um, last night was cool, especially, you know, being able to text back and forth with my dad during the game and just, you know, pass along our nerves. And it's 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 weird. Other than other than App State, there is no other franchise in pro sports or college that that gets me. Uh, to, to behave the way that I do, the way that the, the Rays do. And baseball is not even my favorite sport, but this team, uh, I wrap my arms around this team more than anything in, in pro sports. And so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. It, it'll be a little distracting for that to be going on during the week of, of this big game for App against Arkansas State, but um, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. I, and I hope this time they can, uh, they can get it done. You know, as while we're recording, it's either going to be the Braves or the Dodgers. We don't know the opponent yet, but yep. um, you know, it'll be a lot we'll of tag fun. that on to the end of the interview. We'll, uh, yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll say it. I hope they beat the Braves pause. I hope they beat the Dodgers pause. <laughs> no, very. Yeah. 2010, I was working in Baton Rouge and uh, did the same thing. Had to fly back and forth to DFW mm-hmm. less that there for less than 24 hours, but I had to be there for the very first world series game held in yeah. Arlington uh, considering that I've been following that team since, you know, I went to my first game when I was like three months old in 1979. So <laughs> had to, yeah. had to make it happen. You do. But, you uh, absolutely yeah. do. It's cause it's, you know, here it is, you know, however many years later and you're like, that's, I'll never forget that. No. And so it was, it was worth it. No, absolutely. Number one, uh, in-person sports moment in my life. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. Adam really appreciate the time very much. Get back to your family and, uh, enjoy Wednesday. Enjoy getting, enjoy Thursday rather enjoy getting back yeah. to, uh, back to app state football. It's been far too long. 
I'm glad we're talking about it. And uh, Chris, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for, you know, shining a spotlight on App State and the Sun Belt and the group of five. Uh, we appreciate people like you that that help to, you know, elevate the, the coverage of, of schools like Appalachian and conferences like the Sun Belt. Adams Rays will face the Dodgers. That starts Tuesday, so he may be a bit distracted during his prep time. But thankfully, there is a day off in the World Series on Thursday. So he won't have to miss anything when calling App State versus Arkansas State. That starts at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central. Encourage you to listen to Adam, but you can get the visuals Thursday on ESPN. I'll be back Friday morning with a recap of that one, plus a preview of the weekend. There are three Friday games involving group of five teams the most intriguing being the raging cajuns at uab sunbelt versus cusa that's eight eastern seven central friday on cbs sports network then on saturday huge game in the american cincinnati at smu at least we hope it will be played on saturday i'm taping this segment and around midnight, Sunday night, heading into Monday morning. And the Bearcats, of course, had their last game postponed against Tulsa due to COVID issues. So we're hoping the Bearcats and Mustangs will get to play this one on Saturday on the Hilltop. Also Saturday, the Mountain West returns. Six games, full schedule, including Utah State at Boise State. Group of Five Live is part of the Landry Football Network. Be sure to subscribe to Landry's Football Conference Call wherever you get podcasts. Don't forget to take advantage of our special gaming offer from American betting experts. Go to LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located on the upper right side of the page. Pick among the gaming sites legal in your state. Sign up and instantly receive an account deposit match or risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It's that easy. Thanks to our sponsor, American Betting Experts.